Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We're continuing this series, Behold, Believe. And we're on a story that you think you know, but you really don't. We're on the story of the wise men and the star. And if I ask you the question in this story, how many kings are there, how many would you say? Who says three? We three kings of Orion are bearing gifts. We travel so far. Uh, but there's not three. <laughs> there's not three kings. Um, actually, in the story, they're not even kings. They're wise men. It never actually says that they're kings. We have just sort of sung this song. I don't know where it came from. But it doesn't say that they're kings. It says that they're wise men, which hung out with kings, but they're not, in fact, actually kings. Not only that, um, but the, the story does say that there are two kings in the story, and yet they're not the kings that we think they were. They're two different people. So the point is, we need to read this story again with our Bibles open. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And we're going to get into Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men and the star. We're calling it Behold a Star and Behold a King as we explore these Christmas stories that have all these things that we're told to behold. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us. We thank you that you are king. We thank you that you love us. And we pray that Even as now we sit under your word, your desire is that this is what actually shapes us, that as we learn from your word, it would shape our lives and our affections and our actions and what we think. And we just pray that, again, this week, your word would change us and transform us. We thank you that you are not silent. You have given us this wonderful book full of truth and commands and stories, and and it's the way that we get to know you. And so I pray even this morning again that you would shape us. And all God's people said. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then after opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Christmas time is a time of questions. It's a time when people ask a lot of questions. One of the questions that children always get asked at Christmas time is, What do you want for Christmas? Christmas time is a lot of questions. Uh, another question that happens is, Mom, Dad, how long is it until Christmas? The other day, our four-year-old woke up and, like, the door, I, it just was this loud noise of her sort of barreling out the door, and she kind of comes in and is like, is it Christmas? It's like, no, sweetie, you've got ten more days. And I could tell that she was ready, and she was afraid that we had started it without her. One of these another questions that happens at Christmas. How many days until Christmas? Uh, but Christmas is also a time not just where we ask each other questions, but where we sort of ask questions of Christmas. It's a time of reflection, and when we talk about Jesus coming into the world as light and hope, we ask questions of God. God, where is the peace? Where is the joy? Where is the love? And we ask these questions around Christmas because we're really asking questions of Christmas. But there's also a sense where this time of year, this season that we're in that we call Christmas time or we call Advent, it, it's also asking questions of us. It's also asking questions of us about our life, about our joy, about our worship. You see, even as we ask questions at Christmas time during this Advent season, this season wants to ask questions of you. It's not just that we come into the season asking and looking. This season comes to us, looking in us, asking questions about us. And as we look at this story today, we're going to see that it's asking us three questions. The first question is, who is your king? The second question is, where is your joy? And the third question is, how is your worship? These are the questions that are being asked of us today. In our text for today, in verse 1 and 2, it tells us that Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem. This is after the, Jesus has been born. It's after they've gone to dedicate him to the temple and they've returned back to Bethlehem. And from the language that is being used to describe the child Jesus, it, it, he's not an infant. He's some months old. He might even be a year old, maybe even up to two years old in this story where Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem. And Matthew tells us that Herod, Herod the Great, has been in charge for some decades in the province of Judea. He's a, he's a king that's been installed by the Roman government that's oppressing Israel. And he's a ruthless king of Judea. He's ruthless. He, at one point it was recorded that he had killed his own wife and had killed his own children. He was violent and he was ruthless. But he was also known for building some things in the kingdom. His, uh, one of his claims to fame is that he had rebuilt the temple there in Jerusalem. And then we find out in the story that magi come from the east. And they come to Jerusalem looking for the king, looking for the Christ child. Now when it says they come from the east, what that means is they might have come all the way from Babylon, which is some 800 miles east of Jerusalem. It, it probably was a 40-day journey or so. Or they may have come from even further east in Persia. 
but they traveled at least 40 days, and they're not kings, they are magi. Magi was a professional class that hung out with kings, and the reason they hung out with kings, the reason that kings wanted them near their side is because magi specialized in the interpretation of dreams. They specialized in sacred religious writings. They studied wisdom. They supposedly knew magic. And magi were into astrology. They were into astrology. They believed that the alignment of the stars and the season of the stars was a way that the universe somehow communicated about the destiny of things to happen on earth. And it's actually the astrology part that draws them from the east all the way to Jerusalem. They say that we have seen his star, talking about the king of the Jews. And by his star, we think that they're referring to a prophecy from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17. I think we have that. Where Balaam is giving a prophecy about one to be born who is a king, and has a star that represents him. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's the text that Chris read at the beginning. And, and these magi would have been experts or would have at least been familiar with not only uh, whatever their sacred writings were, but the sacred writings of the Hebrews from the Old Testament and others as well. And so they evidently have seen this star from the east, somewhere over Jerusalem, and they connect it to this prophecy. Evidently, the star was either new or it was unique or was brighter than the rest, but they notice it, and they come east to Jerusalem looking for this king. And Herod is overjoyed. No, he's not. Herod is deeply troubled that these men from another country have traveled so far and are coming to him when he's king on the throne asking about another king. You can see how that would be threatening. And not only he's troubled, it says that all of Jerusalem is troubled. Imagine these men who they've never met before from a country they've not been to before showing up asking about this king. It's going to cause political unrest, political upheaval. And so Herod gathers the religious experts. He gathers the officials from the temple. He gets the people who know the Old Testament. And he says, uh, we have these guys here, and they're asking about this king. What does the Old Testament say? What does the prophecies say about where this king is supposed to be born? And they open up the book of Micah, and they find out that the king comes from Bethlehem, the city of David, where King David was from in Judah. The promised Messiah, the, the king of the Jews who's coming, is coming from Bethlehem. In verse 5 and 6, it says that this king coming is going to be, at the very bottom there, a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, that's interesting. It's interesting because Herod is known not for using his power and authority to care for the people under his rule, but rather for using his power and authority to abuse those under his rule to be violent, to be ruthless. And yet here's this prophecy, not just about another king, but about a different type of king who, make no mistake, he is a ruler, and yet his rule is characterized by being a shepherd. 
He has power and authority, but he uses that power and authority to care for the sheep and his flock. It's a different type of king. Jesus would eventually call himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. But instead of Herod exploring the prophecy in a way that he might submit himself to this new king, he sees this coming king as a threat. This king is a rival, and he is afraid that this coming king will dethrone him. And so in verse 7 and 8, Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod has no interest in worshiping this coming king. And that really brings us to our first question. The first question that Christmas asks us in this text text asks us. The question of who is your king? And Herod's response, Herod gives one answer to that question. His response to who is your king? Herod says, I am. Me. I am the king. And though I'm saying I want to worship the king, what's really going on is I see this coming king as a threat who needs to be eliminated. Herod is so interested in protecting his throne that he can't recognize that actually a better king than him has come. A better king than him has come. But he's only focused on the fact that it's a king that's not him. See, many people... When they're asked that question, who is your king, they answer like Herod does. I am. I'm number one. I'm in charge of my life. I'm independent. And they rightly sense that Jesus actually is a threat to the throne of their life. Now, now here's the thing. Herod's actually right. Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to his throne, and he is a threat to the throne of your life as well. We tend to forget during Christmas that baby Jesus is King Jesus, the ruler of the universe. And he comes in saying, I am king. And let me tell you, if you're in your life right now and you say, no, 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 I am king, there will be a day coming when you realize that is not true. Jesus comes as a baby, but he also comes as a king, meaning he has power and authority. We have been watching this show called The Mandalorian in our house. We love Star Wars. It's on Disney+. And, of course, like the main character and arguably the best character in TV this year has been Baby Yoda. If you've been on Facebook, you've seen Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda is cute And Baby Yoda is cuddly, and my girls love Baby Yoda. And then we were watching an episode last night, and Baby Yoda, like, reaches up out of his crib and uses the force to choke this person. And it's like, wait a minute. My girls were freaking out because they're like, wait a minute, here's this cute little baby, and he's got power and authority that we did not realize. Now, Jesus is not Baby Yoda, But Jesus comes as a baby who has power and authority of a king of the universe. 
And he's not interested in stepping into our lives to form some part of some kind of coalition or partnership with you. He is the king. And yet you and I often live our lives as if we are the king and queen of our lives. It's delusional. Mark Buchanan, a pastor, says this, you can't both rule over your life and have Jesus ruling over it as well. You can't be the possessor of your possessions and have Jesus as the possessor of them too. It's one or the other, not both. In our hearts, we often set up Jesus as a rival of our kingdom. We say, you can rule as long as it's okay with me, and you don't encroach upon areas that I've decided are my domain. As I probe, Buchanan continues, I I find there's a sense of somehow I'm the exception here. Jesus really isn't on the throne on this one. I'm stunned how much we've said to Jesus, I'm Lord of this, thank you. I'll call you if I need you. I'm stunned, except I'm not, because I have a little of Herod's heart too, which says, Jesus, I will be in charge unless I say otherwise, and then I'll let you be in charge unless you're not doing a good job, and then I'll take charge again. How often do we answer that question, who is your king with I am? And yet the story paints this picture of Herod as this insecure, fearful person who's clawing at the, at the throne to keep it. Clawing at the throne to keep it with a fearful grasp that he's losing power and control. And the whole time this prophecy is clear, a better king is coming, a king who does have all power, Herod, more power and authority than you, and yet is also a shepherd who uses his power and authority to care for his flock. In other words, he's always in charge, and yet he always cares, and he always loves, and he's always sacrificial. And let me invite you this Christmas as we ask that question, who is your king? If your answer is, I am, you will live your life like Herod, fearful that you will always lose your power, clinging to the throne of your life. Herod answers, I am. But there's another response to the question, who is king of your life? And that's what the people in Jerusalem and the scribes and the experts in the law answer. And their answer is, when they say, who is your king? They say, who cares? Who cares? I don't know if you caught it in the story, but Herod calls these people who are experts in the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah who's coming. And they say, the Messiah who's coming is to be born in Bethlehem. And here are these magi saying, it's happened. Like the signs all point. And the scribes say, it's, it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. And then they go and do nothing about it. Who cares? It's quite amazing that this prophecy has been hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it's coming to fulfillment. And they do nothing about it. It's interesting that their response is simply, ah. And what we see in them is a spiritual apathy. A spiritual apathy about this great claim about a king of the universe coming into power. Now, in one sense, I get spiritual apathy. I really do. Because there are so many claims and there are so many messages out there. I mean, even this week, if you got on social media, with everything happening in our government, Uh, you saw so many people saying different things definitively that they're not experts on. And I just got worn out. I was like, I need a break from Facebook. 
because all these people are making these claims. And, and, and I just got apathetic. I got apathetic about everything that's happening in our country. But I can't be apathetic because what's happening in our country is big stuff. And just as you are tempted to be spiritually apathetic with this claim of Jesus and everyone else is talking about religion and spirituality and here come the Christians saying, Jesus is king. And you're like, I've heard that before. I've heard these claims. Eh, who cares? But let me, let me tell you, don't be spiritually apathetic about these prophecies, about these claims, about this king. Because what is being claimed about the Savior who is coming is worth your attention. Nothing else like this has been claimed in history. So don't just sit back this Christmas and when you go, who's your king? Don't just go, who cares? Seek him. This is important. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. And that's exactly what we see in the response of the wise men. King Herod says, I am. The people say, who cares? But the wise men, they seek him. They think this is valuable and important enough to put down what they're doing in the east and travel some 800 miles west to find this king that the prophecies are about to follow the stars to go on a spiritual quest. They even submit themselves to the scripture of another people. Did you notice what's actually guiding them is this prophecy from Numbers even as they follow the star. In this prophecy about Bethlehem, even as they follow the star, they're, they're, they're experts in religion, and yet they're seeking what the scriptures are saying, and they're longing for this to be fulfilled. They're not just adding another piece to their spirituality, or they're trying to gain another experience. What does it say that they want to do when they find the Messiah? They want to worship these men who have not grown up in, in, in the story of Israel. Recognize that something significant, something world-altering is happening in Bethlehem, and they want to go there and kneel down. They want to bow. They want to submit before a king, which is a way of saying, your rule and reign, your power and authority is over me. They want to submit themselves to the authority of another. That should be challenging to us because so often in our cultural moment, people seek spiritual things on a journey where they do not want to submit to anything that they find. They piece together experiences and quests in order to come up with their own idea of God. And let me encourage you, when you come up with your own idea of God, you haven't really found anything. You've just found yourself. You've just put together what you think God should be like. But here we see these magi disrupting their lives in order to find out whatever's at the end of the prophecies, to find out whatever's at the end of the stars and everything that they see and everything that they discover is pointing to Bethlehem where God has revealed himself one time in human history in King Jesus. 
And so they seek him. And we find out in verse 9 that they find him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. If you can leave that slide up for a minute. Uh, They go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And after this 800-mile journey, Bethlehem's just six miles south of Jerusalem. And the prophecies point them to Bethlehem, but it's the star that actually guides them to the specific location in Bethlehem. And now that they've come to the end of their quest, it says they're kind of happy. No, it doesn't say that. When they saw the star, when they saw the star over the home of where Jesus is, they rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew's trying to make it clear to us that these men were jumping up and down with excitement and joy because they've come to the end of their journey. Here they are, they're experts in spirituality and magic and astrology and the writings of many sacred religions. They are well read. And yet this is the moment that they rejoice with great joy. Why? Because their spiritual search They have found something that they have been longing for all of their lives. Here the prophecies, here the star points to whatever is in that house. And as they've read the writings and they've read the prophecies and their expectations have been built about this Messiah, this king that would come and they finally reached and they get to see him. All their spiritual longings that they have built up all their life. Everything that they studied is about to be fulfilled and pointed to in Jesus, King of the Jews. And they're fulfilled and filled with great joy. It's there that we get our second question. Not just who is your king, but this Christmas season, where is your joy? If you found King Jesus, where is your joy? This Advent season, When I asked myself that question, I thought, okay, I got some Christmas shopping to do, but I've got an opening from 3 to 3.30. I can put some joy in there. (laughs) But that misses it, doesn't it? I mean, what did we sing earlier? Uh, Joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well. No tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy. It rises in my soul and it never lets me go. Don't forget about joy this Christmas season. I mean, do you remember when you were seeking Jesus and you had not found him and then you did? How it changed your life and the joy that you found? Or do you remember when Jesus found you? You were lost and then you were found and you came to know the king of the universe? Joy, salvation, and being found by Jesus and finding Jesus. Where's your joy? I know many people say, look, Joy, okay, I'm still stuck on this whole magic star thing. (laughs) I'm having trouble beholding the star, and so I'm skeptical even of this story, so I can't really get to Joy until we unpack that. I mean, many people believe that what Matthew's writing here is a myth, 
And actually everything about the Christmas story seems like a myth to people, but the Bible never presents it as myth. It presents it as a historical account that is a mystery. Not a myth, but a mystery. When it comes to this star, uh, some believe it's a comet. Like it's a comet that moved through the sky. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But many believe that it's what's called a great conjunction. A great conjunction is when the planets of Jupiter and Saturn become so close in the sky, it looks unique. It stands out. And Jesus wasn't actually born in the year zero B.C. Jesus was born somewhere like five to ten years before that. And it just so happens that in the year seven B.C., seven years before zero, that there was a great conjunction in the sky three times. May 29th, it's recorded. October 3rd, it's recorded. And December 4th, it's recorded. That Jupiter and Saturn were so close together, it created this unique thing in the sky. Now, I don't know if that's what the star was. As I said, I'm not there. But I say that to say that whatever's happening in this story is not totally unbelievable. It is a mystery. But it's not a myth. And it could have been this conjunction that guided the wise men to Jesus. I mean, many people now still believe in the guidance of the stars in their own life. Many people believe in astrology, that there's a natural order of stars, and the way those stars align and when they were born, depending on when those stars align, it guides them. It's like an impersonal universe guiding them towards their destiny. Um, But this is different than that. This isn't astrology. This is an extraordinary star that is a sign, not from an impersonal universe, but from a personal God who is pointing not just the wise men, but all of us to his son being born in Bethlehem. Not necessarily about your story, but about the most important person who ever existed, who gives meaning to all of our lives. To behold the star that's over Bethlehem is not just to see something greater, but to see the greatest person that has ever lived. To find the end of your spiritual journey, to find the very source of a a quest that's meant to bring you and me 2,000 years later, great joy. Great joy. This Christmas season, where is your joy? As the wise men approach Mary and Joseph's home, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And then they enter the home. I can't imagine what this was like for Mary. Uh, Verse 11 says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. I mean, remember, Mary and Joseph don't know they're coming. And there's a knock on the door. And they open the door, and there's these strange men. Tradition has said it's three. There's no evidence of that. We Could have been five, could have been ten, could have been two. But we're guessing that because they were probably wealthy, there was an entourage outside Mary and Joseph's door. So imagine Mary holding her child. The door opens, and here are these men from a different country that look sort of wealthy. But there's this entourage, and then maybe one of them points up, and Mary looks up, and right there somewhere in the sky above her is this star. I mean, it would be a somewhat frightening for Mary. But then it says that the wise men fall down and worship him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and that word worship, it's meant to bring out this aspect that they're not just worshiping a human being. They're, rep- they're worshiping a, a divine being. They recognize there's something about God in this king who's a baby. And then they bring gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's why we've always said there's been three wise men because there's three gifts. Gold, which is the gift for a king. Frankincense, which is a type of incense. And myrrh, which has traditionally been used to uh, clean bodies, deceased bodies. And so even in this gift, we're getting a foreshadowing of what Jesus' ultimate purpose is. But these are great gifts that the wise men give to Mary and Joseph and present in worship to the king. And we begin to get at our last question there. Why such good gifts? Because the king that they're worshiping is worthy. The king that they're worshiping is worthy. It's, it's more than they just have an emotional response of joy to the king. They bring their best to him. They bring their best to him. In worship. And the last question for today is simply this. How is your worship? How is your worship of the king of the universe? How is your worship of King Jesus? Not just how loudly you sing on Sundays, but does your worship of him include a giving of your best? Does your worship match the worthiness of the king? You know, if you ask a child to share what they have in their hands, they will hide it and go find something that's not as good and share that. Does our worship look like that? Does our worship present giving the best of our lives to the king who is worthy? The best of our time because Jesus is worthy. The best of our treasure because Jesus is worthy of worship. Does he have your best? What do you need to change about your schedule? What do you need to change about your finances or how you rest or what you do with your time to give your best to the king who is worthy of our worship? And that's what these wise men do. But after they worship, they're warned. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And what's coming is what we have traditionally called the slaughter of the innocents. It was an event where Herod realizes the wise men have duped him and not gone back through Jerusalem, but still sees that prophecy as a threat and so has all the children under two years old killed to eliminate the threat, the slaughter of the innocents. And what we see right after this is that Jesus and Mary and Joseph escape. They flee It's called the flight to Egypt, and they escape the violence, and they escape the slaughter. But Jesus, we know, only escapes that temporarily. He only escapes the violence temporarily. Because while Herod would sacrifice many to keep his power, Jesus gave up his power and sacrificed his life to save many. Jesus would be called king of the Jews again as he hung on a Roman cross and a sign above his head read that, where he was not shielded from violence but killed publicly in shame. Where he wasn't worshipped on Calvary but rather mocked. He wasn't kneeled down before but rather was spit up at. 
He wasn't given gifts to show his worthiness in worship, but rather was given a crown of thorns to humiliate him. And where he asked one of the most difficult questions that has ever been asked, as he hung on that cross waiting to die, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is the kind of king he is. He came for you. He died in your place. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was his joy? Saving you. Saving you. Sinners like you and me, the joy set before him was that he got to sacrifice his life for you and me. By turning away from running your own life and turning to Jesus in faith and repentance, you can have relationship with him and receive his salvation and let him sit on the throne of your life and find deep joy in him because he is worthy of our worship. This Christmas season, this Advent season, remember to listen to the questions that it's asking us. Who is your king? Where is your joy? How is your worship? And all the answers to those things are found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. King Jesus, we worship you. We find great joy in you. We turn away from running our own lives and confess that you are the king. We thank you that you love us. We ask for those who are wrestling with who you are right now that you would meet them with power in their hearts and they might see the truth of who you are, Jesus. And all God's people said. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.